Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com and make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more as well as full transcriptions of each podcast episode at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. This summer, I'm adding a co-host, fellow author Kate Carius Quinn. We'll be doing a series that focuses on hybrid and indie authors. If you're thinking of going the self-pub route, we've got authors who found success with six-figure sales, as well as authors who are just starting out on the road to indie publishing. Learn from them. Learn with us. Make your pages look professional with vellum. Margins, headers, page numbering, font, line spacing all happen automatically with every book you create. Generate ebooks for Kindle, Apple Books, Kobo, and others, or deliver a beautiful print book to your readers. Visit trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. Vellum. Create beautiful books. Hi, it's Kate Curious Quinn, and I am back on the Writer Writer Pants on Fire podcast, pushing Mindy to chat more. Really, I want to like make her open up more and just get into all door spots. And so I think it's time to talk about your dead dogs. I think I think I think we're oversharing. And um that's fine. Okay. So yeah, last week we talked about menstruating dogs and mm-hmm. this week, which we do have a guest for you at some point, but this week we kind of teased last week and said that Mindy used to have two dogs and now she has zero. This is true. It's a sad story. So mm-hmm. I had an Australian shepherd and this Australian shepherd, I think she was almost 20. Her name was Dana. Her name was actually Dana Scully, if I'm being honest. So Dana Scully and I had been together forever. So, like, this cat... Sorry, it's a dog. Wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know you have a lot of cats when you're calling your dog a cat. (laughs) Oh, God. I had a cat that lived for 20 years, too, though. I had a cat that was, like, 22 I had a cat. Isn't it more common for cats to live? It's much common. It's much more common for cats, yeah. But I had a cat that saw me through, like, pretty much the same time period, but then the dog just, like, kept going. But, yeah, I had a cat that I think I got her when I was seven, and I had her until I was 29. Yeah. Wow. So, that sucked. Her name was Mercedes. Anyway. um, Because I had just watched like License to Drive and, you know, Heather Graham is in it and she's Mercedes Lane. Yeah. So I named my Oh, my gosh. All right. So then I had this this dog. I got this dog and her name was Dana Scully. And she was an awesome dog. And she saw me through like a marriage and a divorce and then a new relationship that lasted like pretty much 12 years and then a breakup. And call it well now yeah my last year of college actually that dog was with me through my last year of college two moves two household moves um you know books writing many many books so that dog was with me forever and she was at the point where it was like there were multiple times that I thought she had died so like I'd go outside and she'd be sleeping in the sun and like at one point I was like positive the dog was dead like I tried to wake her up I physically shook her 
and she was not reacting like she was she was dead. So I texted uh, my boyfriend at the time because we were living together and I was leaving for work and I texted him and I was like, hey, Dana's dead. Uh, she's in the side yard. If you would please bury her before I get home, I would really appreciate it. I, I can't do it. I got to go to work. Right. So mm-hmm. she wasn't dead. She was just like so deeply asleep that she just wasn't coming up out of it. But the dog wasn't That's dead. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's like he went outside to bury the dog and she just came running around the corner to greet him and he was very curious. And so then, <laughs> so she had kind of like pulled a fast one on me a couple of times that I thought she was dead. And I had had this like experienced grief, right? Like, oh my God, my dog mm-hmm. died. Right. Well, mm-hmm. so one morning and I go outside and I have two dogs at the time. I had Dana and I had Brutus and I'm like, Dana, you know, and I'm getting everybody around and no Dana. Like she just doesn't show up. And she basically was so old that she would go outside, find her spot where the sun shone and just lay down. And she wasn't there. And I'm like, oh, shit, she wandered off to die because dogs do that. I go inside and I'm getting like... Because I live in the middle of nowhere, totally rural, and I got on, like, my boots to go through the field and just, like, see if I can find her somewhere. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, shit, because I have a pond. And I was just like, oh, my God, I hope she didn't, like, try to walk down to the pond because there's really steep banks. And I go out there, and she's floating in the pond. Mm. And I was just like, oh, my God, my dog drowned. And so Mm. I had to go get her. Like, I had to, you know, take my boots off and everything and swim out. And get her and pull her back in. And uh, so then I called my boyfriend and I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, hey, man, Dana's dead. (laughs) Dana's dead. And he was not home at the time. And uh, I was like, Dana's dead. And I need you to I need you to bury her. And he's like, well, she's she's actually dead this time. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, I mean, I was I was lost. Like I could hardly speak. And I'm like, no, she drowned. It's like she drowned and I had to swim out and I had to get her and I hauled her body back in and, and all this Aww. stuff. And, and he was so then like he felt horrible uh that he questioned me on whether or not the dog was dead when I had just like and he even asked me, he was like, Did you try to like perform CPR? And I'm like, dude. Uh, stop questioning me. My dog is dead. But, um, yeah. So, so I lost Dana and then that really sounds like a, like law scene from, um, not a drop to drink. Like that scene would like fit perfectly in that book. Yeah. It would totally fit in there. Yeah. Except the mother probably wouldn't have let her have a dog, but no, exactly. Well, but if it was a good guard dog, then that's acceptable. You got to earn your keep. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. 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 That's how I feel generally. But when you've earned your keep for like 17 years and you're starting to slow down, I'll let that slide. But yeah. Mm, Yeah. My other dog, Brutus, good boy, great boy, pound doggy, had had him for like 10 years. Like he was older. So he got the big dog. He was bigger. He was my German Shepherd, yeah. He was like German Shepherd. And he was the secret basement pooper, right? He was a secret basement pooper. But I don't know how much of a secret it was because he would tell on himself. Like, he would go shit in the basement and then he would come upstairs and he would just look at me. And he had a specific look on his face that said, hey, I just shit in the basement. (laughs) (laughs) And I would 
just hear that look and I would just go, Brutus. And he would be like, I know, I know, I'm sorry. But it was like, the cat litter is down there. And I think he just, like, he literally was trying to use the litter pan. He just couldn't, like, there was too much, too much math. Do you think he got confused and thought he was maybe a cat or part cat? Like, because he was surrounded by cats? I think he just doesn't understand, like, parabolas because he was trying to use the litter pan. He just, I don't know. There's more positioning when you're a dog. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, he ended up he ended up getting a brain tumor. And so I had to mm. I had to actually take him and put him down like about six weeks ago, right? When the quarantine started. We're recording this April twenty-second. And um so we're mm-hmm. all in quarantine. So I had to I had to put my dog down, my last dog. I had to put my dog down right before quarantine. And I had just gone through a breakup of a uh, mm. guy that I've been with for 12 years. So quarantine has just been stinking awesome for me. I'm uh, I'm racking them out. I'm losing men and my mm. dogs are dying and there's mm-hmm. a pandemic. It's just, it's like a country song. Yeah, I know you texted or we were on Slack with um, Dimitri, I think. And you said it was like the first week of quarantine and you were like, so I just had to take my dog to be put down it's not going so well and no. we were just like oh no Mindy yeah see you don't want me to chit chat you don't want me to do this because it's like these are my stories <laughs> <laughs> no one is glad that you talked me into this right now Kate zero percent of people are happy I think they are. Everyone can relate to this because everyone has had to do this. I had to take my Cocker Spaniel, our first, my husband's and I, our first little dog. And she was like, always like sickly and the scared little dog. And it was so hard to do. It's the hardest thing about like having to take a dog and put them down is like, you, you just don't know, like, you feel so bad. Like, is it time? Is it not time? Like, like they could keep going. Are they suffering? But you can't tell. And it's also like, it's hard to take care of a dog at the end of their life. Like with our dog, like she was like shitting herself all the time. And so it was yeah. like, you feel guilty. Like, do I just want to like stop dealing with this? Right. Like, you know, like, like I mean, that wasn't it, but you like have those thoughts. Yeah, yeah no, totally. Like, and see with Dana, because she was so freaking old, it was like, mm-hmm. I just didn't want her to be scared. I just didn't want her to be scared. And she had reached mm-hmm. a point where she was, old that my vet was like you know she's due for her booster but quite frankly it's in a really expensive booster and it might not be worth it and Mm -hmm. she gets so upset when she goes to the vet he'd be like maybe we should just like give her give her a give her some time and see how she's doing and like my vet Mm -hmm. was basically like don't worry about vaccinating this dog because it's a waste of money and so I was just like Mm -hmm. I just didn't want her to be scared I didn't want that to be her last thing is that mom puts her in a car and she's terrified mm-hmm. and then you know mm-hmm. and then she dies and so i didn't want her to be scared and then you know she ended up drowning and so i was just like oh, so pissed so pissed i know i know i remember you were so upset at that that's just so horrible to like have to go and pull your dog out of the pond is horrible it's horrible yeah, it sucked it sucked it really did and it was just yeah and then shortly after that, just, I don't, you know, break up and quarantine and yeah, everyone should buy my books. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a hell of a year. I feel like really you kind of, <laughs> I feel like you're one of those people who like, 
shit happens to them more than others, but maybe not. I, I can never tell if it's just like some people are better at telling stories and just, or if like, do you feel like crap happens to you? Like the first thing I remember about meeting you the first time was you said, I could only see out of one eye. <laughs> <laughs> no, I could only hear out of one ear because my eardrum had ruptured, right? No, you were in the middle of your eye surgery. Oh, shit. That's right. No, that is something that is just like freaking bizarre. Okay, so. <laughs> so like, I remember with, you kind of like looking at kind of like winky, like you would kind of like think close one eye to like focus. And um, yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> that that did happen to me. Um, So I would assume this has never happened to anyone. Um, <laughs> With my first. Uh, my first advance for a book, I decided I was going to give myself the gift of sight because I had been wearing contacts and glasses since I was in like fifth grade. And I was so tired of not being able to see and having to find my glasses mm -hmm. or put in my contacts first thing in the morning. Cause I was like legally blind. Like it was bad. And, um, so I was like, I want LASIK. So I go to get LASIK. I actually, my vision was so bad that at one point when I had first gotten married, the first time um <laughs> i had a puppy it was when dana was a puppy so here's a puppy story no. dana ate my glasses and oh, no. i couldn't wear contacts at that point in life because i was in college and i had like really abused my eyes and slept with my contacts in and they wouldn't let me on contacts mm. anymore like they'd red flagged my little file and it was like she isn't responsible enough to wear contacts oh so, my gosh that's horrible so, it was terrible so i had you know glasses and my dog ate my glasses and I was literally stuck at home. I couldn't leave because I can't see did well she, enough to drive. Did she eat them or did she just chew them up really bad? They, like she didn't it was not, them. I, I don't, she consumed parts of them. And they so were, it wasn't something I could to... reconstruct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's how bad my vision is that I was stuck at home and I had to like call my dad and my dad had to come get me and I had to be driven somewhere to buy glasses so that I could see. It was, it was yeah. but yeah, mine's, regardless, mine is yeah. pretty bad too. I wouldn't drive somewhere if I didn't have my lenses or my glasses on. No, like it would be so unsafe. It'd be ridiculous. Yeah. So anyway, I decided to give myself the gift of LASIK. Turns out my corneas are too thin because when they do LASIK, they just cut a slot and they flip up your cornea and then they laze the, the pupil and the rods and the cones. And then they flip your, your cornea back down and it heals. My corneas are so thin. They were like, we can't do that. It won't heal again. We actually have to scrape your corneas all the way off. It's called surface abrasion. And is abrasion. that a common thing? It's, it's basically the backup for LASIK. Like if you don't qualify for LASIK, you can get this done. And I was okay. like, okay, I'll do it. Right. And so it's like the mm -hmm. same machine that they use for LASIK, but they actually just like scrape your corneas off. And that was just like fucking weird. Dude. With the like, laser. No, no. They scrape it off like with a spatula. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm not even kidding you. Like they literally like you're, you're laying there. They give you Valium. Right. But you have to be awake. like a spatula or a scapula. A spatula well, is like what you use to flip pancakes. 
I feel like, like you our- went to really a janky eye center. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went to like a really expensive one, which is what makes this so <laughs> fucked up because it wasn't like a spatula. Like they bought it like Dollar General or something, but like, that's what it looked like. It just looked like this little flat piece of plastic. Right. And I mm-hmm. and granted, I couldn't like focus on it because it was literally going into my eye. But yeah, mm-hmm. so, so they took my corneas off, both of them. And then they start lasing, you know, using the machine. So they do one eye and then they go to the other one. The machine just like stops, like just stops working. Like how your light bulb just goes out sometime, except it's, you know, Mm -hmm. a $3 million machine. It just stopped working. And they were like, oh shit. And everyone around me is just like, (laughs) oh my gosh. Oh no. And it's like not a good feeling when your corneas are (laughs) off you have Valium running through your veins and you're on your back with like a clockwork orange thing on your face, holding your eyes wide open. And everyone around you is going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And I was just like, so Valium that I didn't care. And I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, uh, basically we, we fucked you. Uh, <laughs> they were really nice. They were like, they were like, we are so sorry, you know? and and. I basically had to, my corneas had to grow back, which takes like three days. And then they had to wait for like six months to make sure, because they had done like a small treatment on that one eye. So they had to wait for everything to recalibrate, get the new prescription, Mm -hmm. go back in, get my cornea scraped off again, and then treat that other eye. But so, yeah, I was basically like blind in one eye when I went went like on tour for that first Oh, God. Yeah. And then I got yeah. vertigo on that trip, too, because from flying, I got vertigo. Yeah. See, that's why I thought you were talking about when my eardrum broke. Oh, yeah, because that happens so much. But I feel like that's I mean, that's also a weird thing that happens to you. But that happens to you so often. But the yeah, the the laser eye surgery. So did the laser eye surgery, did it hurt? My friend said it felt like having a rubber band snapped against your eye. You know, when they did the laser part, I don't remember because I was still very much just like, dude, they just scraped my corneas off. Like, I was so focused Mm. on the feeling of having your cornea scraped off because the other thing Mm -hmm. is, is like, there's basically pressure on your eyeball. You remember, like, in the 70s when you would go to the movies or the early 80s and before they had previews, there was just, like, like oil and water kind of, like, moving across the screen? Did you have that experience as a child? Mm-mm. No? I mean, okay. if I did, I don't remember it. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, it was Oil like a lava water. lamp. Yeah, it was like a lava oh, lamp. okay. Thing. Right. Okay. So that's what it looks like when they scrape your corneas off. Like that, that was my perception. Because your eyes are open and you're looking forward mm-hmm. and then there's just like a thing moving across and it just, everything goes wonky and you just mm. see like lava lamp shit. It's bizarre. Ugh. But you can feel the pressure. I mean, I yeah, have I had three C-sections and obviously you have those while you're awake. So that's probably somewhat a similar sensation. Like you can feel yeah. someone like tugging on your insides, but it doesn't yeah. hurt. It's very, yeah. very Basically, uncomfortable. C-section on my eyeball is probably a yeah. really good way to put it. Yeah. 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 yeah but if, no baby I came out. A, did, no, I did not have a baby out my eyeball. No, that didn't happen. <laughs> What's more painful or uncomfortable, having the eye surgery or having your needle face treatment? Because oh, I really do want to get the needle face the treatment. Needling, the needling yeah. freaking hurts, dude. Um, the eye treatment, I would say the needles are more painful. 
And yeah. this, just so people know, Mindy and I are, um, we both turned 40 last year, a week, like three days apart, four days apart. I'm the 19th Ish. year, the... The 18th, dude, are you? like one day oh, apart. Oh, a day apart. That's crazy. Yeah, so we're very into skincare. And I sort of got you into it. The student surpassed the master because you just like leapfrogged ahead of me and like started doing all these treatments. And now I just like ask you about them and like I'm jealous. Yeah, yeah. You were like, you can buy this cream. And I'm like, or I can get my <laughs> face punctured over and over with a needle. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I did. I got the I did the BBL first, which if you if you Google BBL, it's going to tell you Brazilian butt lift. I did not. <laughs> I did not get a Brazilian butt lift. And if you ever see my to-do butt, list, yeah, like you'll know if you see my butt, it'll be very clear that no Brazilian <laughs> butt lift has been done. But it's like broadband light therapy. And that I really liked. Like, that was cool. Because it just, like, basically burns off your age spots. Yeah. And they don't come back. That's, like, it's not something that has to be redone or... Uh, It's maintenance. It's maintenance. So, like, I'm going to get it done, like, once a year now. But Mm -hmm. um, I really liked it. And then the thing I'm doing right now, which I'm in the midst of because I bought, like, a package. So I have four treatments, is the micro-needling. Where mm. um, they basically just puncture your face over and over and over, damages your face, but it makes your skin produce collagen in order to heal and it just like tightens up your skin. And it does work. Like I would never, I would never say that it's not worth it, but it's expensive and it fucking hurts. And so like when right. you're right in the middle of it, you're laying there thinking I am paying you a lot of money to basically actually torture me. Mm-hmm. But you have, they give you something, right? You can get something. Or? Uh, they give you a uh, laughing gas. Um, oh, okay. I didn't take it for the first pass because I was like, I'm tough. And so mm-hmm. I did it without for like the first pass. And I think they do three passes. Mm-hmm. And so she started the second. And since my face had already been punctured repeatedly with like basically a, a Brillo pad of nails, I was just mm-hmm. like, it already hurt. So then they started mm-hmm. doing it the second time. And I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. Bring me the laughing gas. <laughs> and then once you had the laughing gas, it just it just didn't hurt. It just felt like. No, oh. it still hurts. You just don't give a shit. Like that's that's like to me. The I've never had laughing killers. gas. Laughing gas is awesome, dude. I mean, I, I never had it. Have you ever had any painkiller? I've never. Um. Like after my C-section, I've had, they gave me like painkillers, but I only took them for like a couple of days. And then I stopped and just like was with ibuprofen, but like, I've never had, um, I've never had a cavity or anything. So I've never like needed it for dental work. Oh, geez. Yeah. See, I've gone under and, and <laughs> been in medical situations so many times. Um, I got Valium in the vein one time. That was interesting. Um, <laughs> I had to swallow a camera. <laughs> You're right. I do have a weird life. Um, I had to swallow a camera because there was a problem with my heart. So basically they showed me this camera and it was like the size of my fist. And they're like, You're gonna oh swallow gosh. this. It's gonna go down your throat and you know, we're gonna look at your heart. And I was and I looked at this thing and it was, it was the size of my fist. And I'm like, I'm not swallowing that guys. And they were like, mm-hmm. You won't care once we start the volume. And it was like, you know, mm-hmm. IV drip, Valium. And I uh, and I literally just went, 
ah, uh, like <laughs> it's ridiculous. And so it's like my experience with any type of situation like that is like you're still aware and you still feel everything. Like I could feel mm-hmm. that camera moving around inside my sternum. Like I could feel it touching oh. my my breastbone, like moving and yeah. But you just don't care. You just don't care. Like you, you have better things to think about. And I don't know what they were. Um, I couldn't tell you <laughs> even at the time what I was thinking about. But yeah, when you're when you're in an altered state, you're still. I mean, in my experiences, you're still aware and you feel the pain. It just isn't relevant, if that makes sense. Mm. Is it almost like you're floating above yourself, like watching? No, I've never had an out of body experience. Um, it's mostly just. Like, it literally just explodes your euphoria, and Mm. you're just so happy it doesn't matter that someone just shoved a camera down your throat or, you know, scraped off your cornea or broke your eardrum. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So You have had an interesting life. And this isn't even talking about the time you texted me and Demetria and said... I put my hand through a glass door today. <laughs> I did. I did. That was a cool one. I have I have an amazing scar from that one. And I actually, it was so cool though, because I could see there's a split second when you are very badly <laughs> injured. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is a split second where you don't start bleeding yet. If you've been cut by something that's super sharp, for one thing, it doesn't mm-hmm. hurt because it severs all the nerves immediately and you actually aren't in any pain. But you also don't well, like when you're right shaving way. your legs and you cut yourself and you're like, oh, shit, did I cut myself? Oh, it's not right. bleeding, I guess. And then it starts to bleed. And it's like, oh, I cut myself. And you put your leg back in the water and it burns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So I, I did indeed put my arm right through like a plate glass screen door from the 1970s. And in a moment of like physics gone crazy. Right. Like physics it was just like. Crazy. Like I just like straight armed this door and it came back and I wasn't being aggressive. I just like my flat palm just hit that door at exactly the right angle or whatever that it just shattered. And then my arm went through the hole and then I, I watched this huge piece of plate glass just literally swing and think to myself, that's going to fall straight up guillotine style on my arm. And I have all of these thoughts but not quickly enough to pull back. Like, you know, your mind works so fast and it falls Mm -hmm. and it slices me open. And I looked down at my arm and I had this beautiful moment of clarity before it bled where I could see inside my arm and I could see. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, it was awesome. It was so cool. I could see the muscles and I could see the tendons and I could see like, as soon as it opened, like the fat just like rolled back. And I was just like, wow. And then drip 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 just blood all over the place like it was crazy um Mm. yeah that was a good one we should we should always start talking about my bodily injuries i am so squeamish my daughter has had her her molars and back teeth have started coming out um her baby teeth and she is like so like as soon as the tooth gets loose she like she just keeps working it like she just can't stand to have the loose tooth and she keeps working it and she wants to like tell me like mom I have this tooth and it's like go tell your dad I don't want to hear about it it grosses me out so much I don't know I'm super squeamish I'm just so squeamish like if I looked and saw the insides of my arm I would have 
face planted on the glass and probably slit my throat because it, I probably would have passed out. It's so I have no ability to deal with that stuff. I was incredibly intrigued. I even had a moment where, you know, I was like flicking my fingers and watching the muscles like flick right oh before it started bleeding. I actually I had that opportunity and I was like, this is cool. Um, at the same <laughs> time, beginning to bleed out at an enormous rate. And uh, then I, I ended up like I was dating uh, someone at the time that <laughs> drove me to the ER and I had in the meantime just bled all over everything. Like it was it was bad. Um, and I texted my mom and I was like, hey, just so you know, I'm fine. I am perfectly okay. I'm being driven to the ER right now. Could you please go over to the house? Because there was glass all over the place and I still had Brutus mm. and Dana at that point. I was like, can you please mm. go over to the house and, and clean up the glass? Because I don't want the dogs to, you know, step on it and get hurt. And so my mom's like, okay, you know, like I grew up in a farming family. People getting stitches is just not news, right? So mm-hmm. I had played it down anyway. Mom goes over to the house. So we live really near each other. So like five minutes later, I get this phone call. She's like, Mindy, it's like, you are not okay. You should see the blood. And she showed me like she took a picture because I had stood over the sink for like half a second, just rinsing it just to see how bad it was. And uh-huh. um, there was like a coffee cup that had been sitting in the sink uh, to get washed. And it was literally like full of my blood. And my mom was like, dude, you are not okay. Yeah. And I was like, I'm fine. She's like, I can track your progress through the house. It is not hard. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm okay. And I was, I'm fine. I have a great scar. I'm not surprised that that would fascinate you. My other earliest memory of meeting you in person was you being very excited to tell me in great detail all the awesome research you'd been doing about lobotomies. Like you, like that and and sheet wrapping because you were writing um, a madness. Madness so discreet, yeah. Yeah. And so you were just like, oh, my God, I, I'm i just I'm loving this information about lobotomies. You were like, it's fascinating. Do you know what they used to do? And I was like, you were just like so excited about it. And like you just wanted to tell everybody like you were like spreading the good word of lobotomies to everybody. Like <laughs> I'm not an easy person to love. <laughs> 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 at least my well my squinting at me with one eye <laughs> <laughs> and i wonder why i'm single okay um so who's who's our guest today katie it's katie robert katie robert's coming on today to talk to us yes. about writing sexy sexy stuff yes and she is so great i stalk her on twitter so um, i'm gonna have to let her know that and um you should stalk her on Twitter too and Instagram and all the places because she's she's really so fascinating and she's such a cool person and talks about a lot of really interesting stuff, her writing and knitting and life. Awesome. All right, let's get Katie on. I follow um, Katie on Twitter and you're very active on Twitter and you're very funny on Twitter and super interesting. Is that your favorite form of social media? I feel like People who are on social media a lot, you feel like you know their whole lives, but it's all you're holding stuff back. You know, you're showing people what you want to show them. So I don't know. Do you want to talk about Twitter? Instagram is my favorite just because it's consistently mostly happy. 
you can, you, you know, go look at pretty pictures like of books or pets or food or whatever. And so that's kind of my refuge when like the rest of social media gets too intense. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoy Twitter for the most part in just like the little rapid fire conversations that happen and feels very organic in a lot of ways that you interact with people that you wouldn't necessarily interact with otherwise. But it can get brutal sometimes and it can I can sometimes get a little oversensitive so I have to like take Twitter timeouts uh, you've had people like come after you for like things you've said haven't you like uh yeah I I have a series that is fairy tale retellings and people have strong opinions about it and whether it's I don't know they just have very strong it creates very strong feelings and Mm. um and occasionally I get some like pushback about that on Twitter and specifically Twitter and occasionally just other stuff. Like it's just people, especially like right now are very, their best selves and their worst selves. <laughs> and so you yeah. get a little bit of both, yeah. um, especially on Twitter. Um, Cause it's so easy to fire off a tweet and like, you know, react mm-hmm. to something emotionally and I've done it too. So I'm not definitely not throwing stones. Usually I have a freedom, the freedom app on my like computer mm-hmm. and so I lock myself out of Twitter at 5 p.m. every night just for my mental health so I don't just scroll endlessly but yeah no I really enjoy Twitter Facebook's fine I just have corners of Facebook that I spend time in that's like are my safe spaces so I don't spend a lot of time on like my actual timeline and then I really enjoy Instagram just across the board for the most part you can just look at pictures. You don't necessarily have to see the comments. Whereas Twitter, I honestly, as an author, and I'm not a big author, and I don't have a ton of followers, but I do have a fear of like someday accidentally saying something and getting like at the bottom of one of those like Twitter dog piles where like every single person like piles on and is like, yeah, you are stupid. Like, how could you do that? You know, like it happens all the time. And I see it happen to other people. And I'm just like, Oh, my God, I think I would be smart for life. I would go and live in a cave. I struggle because I see people that I know and that I like and that I absolutely know are good people. Twitter is not an honest or best representation of ourselves. I used to be on Twitter like quite a bit and I have a decent following there and I think it does work as far as like marketing and promotion. Maybe it does, I think, or at least it does in the YA sector. But I tell you, I went through a breakup like about six months ago and I just pulled back from everything super hard. I was just done. I crawled in a hole and died for a little bit. And when I came back out, I was just like, dude, this is stupid. Like, I don't enjoy this. I'm not having fun. I don't end up getting anything out of this experience. The only thing I get out of it is knowing who's in trouble today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I've taken, like, months and months off Twitter just for that reason exactly is because it sometimes it seems like, like, Facebook is what it is. Instagram's all happy and Twitter's just screaming all the time. And mm-hmm. And there are good corners of it and there are really good interactions. But, yeah, it's it can be really fraught, like for sure. And it's daunting at times that just anybody can just like come out of the woodwork and like show up in your mentions and just be awful. And you almost can't engage with that because then it can create one of those dog piles, like authors behaving badly. And now you're the asshole and Mm -hmm. you know, everybody has going to have an opinion about it. I feel like everybody's social media is curated to some extent. And I Mm -hmm. try to just 
be a positive representation of like, you know, not without struggle and not without like, I have stuff that I struggle with. And I try to be honest about that because it's not fair to be like, everything's awesome all the time. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to dwell in that too much just because I am a purveyor of escapist stories and that's what I want out of my content. And so that's what I will try to put out in the world. You know, I and grew up like and you, I still live oh, in like a super, super, super small town. Like we graduated, I think, 68 kids last year. And so early on, like in high school, I told one of my friends who would get upset, like people be talking about her or whatever. I was like, dude, this is where we live. If there's something that you're considering doing and you wouldn't want your mom to know, don't do it because <laughs> everybody is going to find out. And so that is... Kind of my rule on Twitter, too. If you wouldn't say it to your mom, about your mom, or in front of your mom, don't say it. And that has helped me out a lot. Like, when I'm ready to fire something back, it's like, would my mom be upset with me for this? Yes. So, you know, just that, like you're saying, that pile on and, and the attacks, it's it's exhausting. I've seen enough of them to be like, oh, I'm out because of some of the negative experiences I've had on Twitter has really changed my feelings on like, is this worth like being angry at this author? I don't know over like that they did this thing or said this thing or published this thing. Like most of the time now it's like, I'm just going to go back to like my corner of the world and like not comment on this. Cause it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with me, mm-hmm. not my circus, not my monkeys. I mean, sometimes I occasionally do get pulled in because that mob mentality is very intoxicating, even when you're trying mm-hmm. to be good. Mm-hmm. But, but I try really hard to just, stay positive. <laughs> you do seem like you really do use it though to connect with your readers and you post about your books a lot and I'll see you'll post excerpts. You had an excerpt the other day that I scrolled across that was like for a daddy romance <laughs> and I was like um that is totally something that I think is icky but then I was reading your excerpts and I was like oh my god I may have to read this. <laughs> it was that- really strangely hot and I was disturbed and was like I got to talk to my counselor about this. <laughs> Well, it's funny because that book is solely exists because of Twitter. Because I shot off a tweet, like I had read um, Nikki Sloan put out a book that have this complicated relationship with his father-in-law. After reading that series, I was like, do I like father-in-law stuff? Like, I don't think I do. I feel like I really don't. But apparently this particular scenario is okay. Um, And so I fired off this tweet, just like mostly joking. But the response of it kind of prompted me to be like well maybe I'll just sit down and see if I can write like some of it like because it's not my normal kink or whatever and then I wrote the book in a week so it's uh, (laughs) so it's definitely that experience was solely because of like Twitter and social media is that I even wrote that book to begin with and so you know some good positive stuff does come out of it it's it's definitely (laughs) not for everybody I 100% not for everybody but it was it brought me a lot of joy in the middle of like this crazy pandemic. So I hope it brings some Mm -hmm. people joy who read it too. That's awesome. So in terms of like marketing and promotion and just like discoverability, are you using Twitter to connect and to interact? Or do you think it's useful as a marketing tool? I feel like Twitter is useful in more word of mouth. I sell more books for other people like that. I enjoy that I'm talking about Mm -hmm. on Twitter than like my own books. I don't think like the actual promotional tweets that maybe were really popular like five or six years ago, I don't think that they work. I think people just scroll right past them. So if you're engaging Mm -hmm. 
in like a really organic way that can help, but it's hard to know. Like I have no way to track that one way or another. So I can't say definitively. Yeah. I would say like, I've seen your recommendations too, and they always feel, um, it doesn't feel like, Oh, my friend, you know, asked me if I would tweet her book. Like it always feels like I I read this book. I really enjoyed it. Like it, it feels honest. It doesn't just feel like I'm doing somebody a favor. And I think that's, I think that's what everyone's looking for. You know, you do want to hear like, oh, I loved someone loved this book. And, you know, this is why you should read it. Yeah. When I feel like because I, I do a roundup at the end of every month of like the books that I read and finished. And I, I only put books in there that I enjoyed. Like I don't talk about the books that I didn't like because it's mm-hmm. life's too short and they're my yeah. peers and I don't want that like karma. I try really hard to make sure that I have read and finished and enjoyed any book that I'm recommending just because there is like a level of trust there that I don't want to like violate. That's what readers are really looking for. And it's obvious that you're also a reader as well as a writer. And so I think other readers respond to that. I have been in a massive reading slump just because I don't know if it's the environment, if it's being stuck at home or what, but I haven't read anything I liked in a while. It is killing me because that makes me less creative. Like it's hard for me to write if I'm not getting in any enjoyment out of reading. Yeah, I actually, through most of March up until like the last week, I read, I didn't finish like six or seven books and it was not the book's fault. It was just like, I could not settle down and just Mm -hmm. read. And then I read that Nikki Sloan series, the filthy rich Americans and just, it blew me away. And like, I read like three out of four of the books, like in individual one sittings, which I never do and kind of broke my slump a little bit, but her stuff is great and amazing. And like, she's a master, but it's not necessarily what I normally read. Cause I write in a similar like types of stories. Mm-hmm. And so I don't mm-hmm. like to read what I'm writing, but yeah. that those books just like completely blew me away and like re-energized my like, I'm ready to read again, but it took yeah. a month to get there. I love books that are, that you love as uh, a reader, but that also inspire your own writing. For me, a couple years ago, um, The Hating Game, that book just like, I loved it so much. I n- do not reread a lot. Or if I reread, I wait like, several years because I have a terrible memory. And so I forget most details pretty quickly. But this book I reread like four months after I read it the first time, because I just needed that like shot of like happiness in my brain. And um, I was like, I want more books like this. And I ended up writing um, a romantic comedy because I was like so inspired as a reader and a writer by that book. Today's episode of Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is sponsored by Jupiter Organic CBD Drops. Jupiter offers the highest quality CBD oil worldwide. 100% USDA certified organic and made in small batches. Jupiter is self-care and stress relief in a bottle. 80% of Jupiter's customers are creatives, especially writers. Jupiter helps them to feel more creative by quieting their busy minds and removing stress from their daily lives. And every purchase comes with free shipping, free returns, and a 30-day risk-free trial. If you don't love Jupiter, you get your money back. Visit getjupiter.com now and use code WRITER to get 10% off your entire purchase. Let Jupiter put your stress on silent.
So I want to talk about what you think does work for marketing. And we're talking about the indie market here for my listeners. We've been talking to a couple of different indie authors and everyone is saying that social media doesn't necessarily work, which honestly is a relief to hear. Weirdly, I have an incredible amount of interaction on my Facebook page. Like, I don't want to go back to talking about social media, but for some reason, my author Facebook page is like super trafficked. So I just keep putting pictures of my cats up and that seems to be what works. But when it comes to actually like marketing, uh, an author that we had on earlier said that she doesn't even put any money most of the time into paid ads. She said she just relies on her mailing list. So where do you land on that? Um, I only have one paid ad that runs like consistently. Um, I have a free novella for a menage series that I wrote back in 2018 that it's just perma-free and it's like a $10 a day ad and it just performs consistently enough that I get a nice trickle in that I earn my money back and then some. I haven't found a way to replicate that probably because I don't really have any other free books currently and I'm not I don't know what works. I mean, I wish I could say I did. I have, because mm-hmm. I started traditional and back in 2012 when there was like certain things that you knew you could like plug in the algorithm and like get a result. And now it's a lot more, depends on the author, depends on the genre, depends on a number of factors completely outside our control. Yeah. And so most of my success in indie has been just through word of mouth, which I mm-hmm do not know how to replicate. Um, No, that's something you can't. Yeah. Yeah. I mostly what I do is I have a pretty active Facebook group. I overshare, I share teasers. I talk a lot about my process. I'm just like out there in the world with that. And now I do that as well on my Patreon under the free, like for people who just pop over there and that like the teasers and just talking about it in a, I guess an organic way. Like, I don't know how else to describe it Mm -hmm. has, drummed up a lot of response there. It's not something that I can, like, I am trying to ensure that, like, the books that I write are within that same umbrella of the books that are doing well now, so that Mm -hmm. there's, like, some natural crossover. But actual marketing, like, I just sort of wing it constantly. Like, I just talk about it a lot and just, like, make my own teasers because I enjoy that. And and the teasers seem to, like, get some response. But, like, I have a mailing list, but it's not – particularly like it's like 30 or yeah 35 no words are cool 3,000 yeah 3,500 <laughs> um subscribers it's hard. Like, words are cool. yeah <laughs> um so it's not particularly like an insane number of subscribers but my open rate's mm-hmm. pretty decent uh-huh. um so I but I've been trying hard for the last year to build up like the direct to reader like to build up my mm-hmm. newsletter and offer exclusive content to them and through my Patreon and my reader group and Facebook to just give them content that they actually are like, can get excited about that isn't necessarily mm-hmm. just like a lot of the stuff of like trying to create reader engagement has never worked for me. Mm-hmm. And I know it works mm-hmm. for certain authors, but it it's, it's just for whatever reason, my readers don't respond well to that. So they like the excerpts. They like the really dirty ones. So that's what I, I run <laughs> yeah. with. So with your loss leader, the free novella, does that then lead into a series and that's how you hook your readers? That novella, it's a novella and then two full length uh, novels are all the same 
royal romance with a prince's bodyguard and like this American bartender they hook up with. And so the novella is like the one night stand they have together. And then the full length book picks up several months later when they connect again. It is a little cliffhangery, which does kind of create some anger in some people that just want the whole thing free. But mm-hmm. for the most part, the the trickle down of people who download that and then purchase the next one is about the same percentage as with my paid works. It mm. just is much higher numbers. So when I finish my series I'm working on now, I think I'm going to do the same thing just with the full-length novel because there will be six mm-hmm. books in that series. So the, yeah. the buy-through will be pretty good if people <laughs> do it. Um, but I'm waiting till I have the series complete before I do that. Do you get a pretty good read-through rate then? Yeah, I think about between like 25 and 30% of people who read the novella from my numbers go on and buy the second one. And then from there, like 80% buy the third one nice. of those. So wow. it's a pretty, pretty solid read through. And it's the series is two years old and it, it still like sells pretty legit, like from my opinion. There's like 30 to 40 downloads a day on the free novella. So nice. yeah, which is pretty good. Um, I wanted to ask you in terms of you said you're, you know, you're working on different things and trying to improve different things. I've also seen on Twitter. I I guess I stalk you on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know. I think you're one of those names when I'm like scrolling through my Twitter feed, you always have something interesting to say or something interesting going on. Like a couple of years ago, I remember you got a Peloton and I was interested in that and you got a great Dane and I have a, I have a half Dane, half Dane Bernard. So I was, oh, a great Dane. So anyway, and you have a toddler, little child and I have, I have a toddler and I have older kids too. So I don't know. I feel like I don't know, a weird secret connection, even though I'm like super shy on Twitter. So I never say anything. I just like stop silently. Now you know. Anyway, <laughs> you said you have um, business spreadsheets. Am I right? That yes. You're kind of like trying to be more organized and stuff. And I would love to know about that because I am terrible at organization. I hate numbers. I hate spreadsheets. I try and start spreadsheets and they turn into like just blobs of random bits of information it's just I'm very bad at it and it's such a chore to when I start them to keep them up and to keep entering the data that they usually just like fall into disuse yeah and that's very true I can say from experience that Kate's outlines are also a huge fucking mess so in 2018 I like when the bottom of the market dropped out in traditional in a big way I kind of had to be like, okay, I'm going to go indie and go hard, or I'm going to have to figure out how to get a day job when I'm not qualified for anything. In an effort to f- try to figure out what works and to have some actual data to work with, I created these spreadsheets, which in the last two years I've curated a lot better. So it's I have a weekly sales and income for each book that I track. And so like on Monday, I get up and put in the numbers and the estimated income. And then at the end of the month I have a actual like profit and loss type report where I, cause I have money coming in from several publishers from a couple different like freelance things and from, you know, the six different places with indie income. So it's like money all over the place. that's mm-hmm. not on a normal schedule and it's never paid at the same time. And so it's helpful for me to have like a quarterly view of like, here's where the money is. Here's where it's coming in. Here's what I'm paying out. I, I'm not always great about being in the green, but, um, but it's it just gives me a nice macro view of it. 
And so like when I run an ad, I can kind of have that data. I have a series underperforms for various reasons. And mm-hmm. so I made the first book in it free just to see if that would make any difference without me actually doing any ads or anything with it. And even I think I'm three weeks in, I can see now that the numbers for this month are already better than last month, even with the free book. So it's helpful to have that kind of information so I can make decisions going forward. That seems like every Monday, that seems like one part of me is like, oh my God, that would be horrible. That sounds so tedious. And then the other part of me is like, yes, but it's your fucking job. Like, that's how we should be thinking. Like, I kind of like give myself a mental slap. Like, yes, dummy, if this is going to be your job, like that's what you should do. Last year, I took Becca Syme has these awesome courses, uh, Write Better Faster and uh, Strengths for Writers. And Mm -hmm. so I took both of those last year. And I found out that I'm a number two strategic with like number four, five input. So the spreadsheets really work for me. Um, But they I can freely admit that they might not work for everybody. um, Because sometimes some people they stress out and like, you know, so but it pleases me and it's like a treat to pull my numbers. Mm. So that's kind of how I've been consistent with it. Tracking my expenses, less consistent because it stresses me out. Mindy, you had Becca on the podcast. I did. I had Becca on the podcast and she talked about matching your personality strengths to your writing and business strengths and how those are helpful. And it was really cool. Like I learned a lot from her and like much like you, I walked away going, wow, I'm not doing this right. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, it, it's it's really having that information has really helped me kind of lean into the stuff that works and stop beating my head against the stuff that doesn't like I I don't plot anymore at all because it just never worked out for me and it was always a study in frustration and so but learning that why that is was really helpful so now I'm like well I don't feel guilt about not doing it anymore because it's just wasting my time mm-hmm. that's awesome I I really wanted to take that quiz after I listened to Mindy's podcast and or like the whatever the test it is it's not a quiz but um and then I sort of forgot about it and backburnered it but that's I don't know I really feel like I need that in our little group the work that we do I'm the numbers person which saying that of the three of us I'm the one that has the strength in numbers is not a compliment or any type of like testament to my math skills it's just that you know we're a trio of idiots (laughs) right well it it, you know in the kingdom of the blind the one-eyed man is king i'm the one-eyed man so i'm I'm doing that i do the numbers but it's like i do i do every 15 days um do a balance sheet and uh do our our expenses and our what we've made we're making money which was the goal anyway it's just in order to actually crunch the numbers and see what works we would have to probably hire someone because <laughs> because we really are We're just so kind bad. of floundering in the shallow end of the pool like where you know the kids all peed <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i have friends who have been in indie that make like absurd money that don't um, track this so it's it's definitely everybody kind of figures out what works best for them yeah. Can you um, talk a little bit about hybrid, being a hybrid author? Do you consider yourself a hybrid or do you feel like you have left the traditional part of your career behind and you're now indie and that's where you're happy and where you are, you know, most successful and making money? Yes, I am hybrid. I actually just recently sold a trilogy to source books. So I am officially hybrid again. Um, 
but it's definitely been really strange to go back to working with a publisher after having full creative control. Um, Mm -hmm. Because part of the things that I have loved so much about being indie is that no one tells me no, like no one tells me that I'm going too far. And like, I write really bonkers books, like admittedly. Mm -hmm. And in traditional, there was a lot of like, is this too far? Like, and with some editors more than others, like I've had some Mm -hmm. really amazing editors that helped me shine my vision to perfection instead of like trimming it, but just being able to just do it for myself and like go full out has really been successful. And like a lot of my readers are I'm gaining new readers as a result of that. And so it's been very strange going back to traditional. It's also given me a lot of perspective of like what my time's worth because now I have actual like numbers and money amounts and, and I can see like, well, that's not a good deal before going indie. A lot of it, like there's, that's such a power imbalance in traditional, like when, especially when you're a new author, it's like, Oh, like I am so thankful that they gave me this deal. Like that's so Mm -hmm. amazing. They're the, like the power holder. And once I realized like, you know, I can do this on my own. I don't necessarily need them. And so it's given me a lot of freedom to be like, okay, yes, I'll take this deal, but like, we're going to talk it out and I'm going to have to feel really good about it in order for me to say yes, because I can make X amount of money on my own or, or mm-hmm. I won't take this deal because you're not offering me enough and I can go do this myself and with mm-hmm. less stress <laughs> and be paid, you know, in 60 days instead of in like 18 months. But I think traditional does have an attraction as far as like, I really like having eggs in multiple baskets and I'm very excited about this new series I'm writing with them. It's like a Greek mythology retelling in contemporary setting. And I think it's going to be trade. I I don't quote me on that. It's giving me a chance to get my books in the hands of readers who might not find me if I'm mostly ebook, but it's also three books. So I, I feel okay giving three books to just see what happens, but I, plan to be primarily indie and like my publisher is very very supportive of that which I appreciate my goal is to be like 75-80% indie and like 20% traditional Um, and do you think I'm curious about crossover because my experience has been that indie readers are indie readers and trad readers are trad readers and since you've got a foot in both worlds do you see people picking up both um parts of your author series like do you see people buying your trad books or the same people that are buying your indie books or is that data you just don't have at least a a subset of the readership does transfer over I mean my numbers on my indie books are not necessarily like my very successful series with Grand Central that started in 2015 like the numbers with my indie are not necessarily higher than that Mm -hmm. but I do have a lot of readers that started there and jumped with me because it's just, my indie books are kind of similar. But with this new series, I've actually intentionally seeded in this world that so the indie readers potentially will grab those new books because they have been introduced to the world already. Mm. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I don't know what the price point's going to be, and that is something that matters to a lot of people and understandably so. Mm-hmm. So if it does end up being traditional and like a 1099 book, I think that that will be a barrier for some readers. Yeah. And it's so hard when um, traditional also wants to price the Kindle book so high yeah. and people just do not want to pay that. And I know it's a deliberate strategy they're doing because they want people to read on paper still, but it's like, there's a certain extent where you can force the market, but there's some people who just want to read on their Kindle. They do not want to mess with paper. Oh yeah. Agreed. And especially if you're 
looking at a new author, like 1099 for a book is like, oh, that's a lot of money. Oh, I, it's crazy. And I, and I am not a particularly conscious of price point as a buyer, but like even 1099 gives me pause that I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll check out my library and just see if I like yeah. the author before I invest. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if there is crossover now that I have indie numbers to compare with the new series because I've intentionally seeded it in. But I've also found that like some readers just like the series they like and they don't want any other series from you, even if it's like almost the same thing. You mentioned earlier that you do have one paid ad that you keep going and that it works for you. And that's for your lost leader, uh, your novella, the free novella that leads into the six book series. Where are you putting that ad? Is that on Amazon? Is that on Facebook? Where is that placed? It's only on Facebook, mostly because I have yet to figure out Amazon ads. I keep trying and I just it's it takes more time and energy than I can like devote at this point in time. But the Facebook mm-hmm. ad, I listened to Sky Warren had a couple classes with RWA a few years ago. So I followed that instructions and helped set up like a couple different types of ads with this and narrowed it down to the one that on Facebook that um that does well. And it's consistently like 10 cents per click. It just runs and occasionally it will like kind of go up and then I'll just shift things around and but for the most part I just like set it and like check it once a week just to make sure nothing crazy has happened and yeah it just kind of does its own thing and has worked out really well. Facebook is a little more set it and forget it but I babysit the Amazon ads constantly they are definitely a little more sensitive and it's hard to get them to spend sometimes. Yeah and sometimes like I had one that I was like I'll just run this and just see what happens and kind of like test it out. And it spent money like my teenager with my credit card. Like, and, oh. and I was not necessarily seeing the sales corresponding to like make it worth my while. And so I tried about a month of that just to see if I could like finesse it. And it's apparently just not my skill set. Um, so, yeah. so Amazon and I don't get along all that well with advertising. Um, the, I understand Facebook just cause it's a little more user friendly and, Mm-hmm. I feel like the information just makes more sense to my to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Amazon is difficult because they hold back so much information from us, even though they know everything. So it's that's a little frustrating. So you're a full time author, right? Like this is your real Z job. Um, yes. So can you talk about a little bit being a full time author and how you balance that with your life, and maybe even how you're balancing that right now with I assume your whole family is home. Are you guys all healthy? Is, has COVID-19 come to visit you? No, we've been all healthy. My husband is technically out of work, but is doing a side job out in the middle of the country by himself. So it's fine. But um, mm. but yeah, we've all been healthy. We're on I think week six of self-isolation. Uh, it's It gets a little hairy. I, I invested in some noise-canceling headphones, and they've mm-hmm. been saving my life. Um, but yeah, I've been full-time author since 2012. I am a creature of habit. And so I, through trial and error, have discovered that my best focus hours are in the morning. And so I get up and write in the morning until approximately noonish, depending on, like, I do it in 15 minute sprints just because my four-year-old is very needy and vocal. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I can usually keep him occupied for 15 minutes to just like do the thing and, you know, do those sprints. And then until I do that, until I hit my word count and I, 
That's very, very hard to work in. Yeah. I could see some people saying like, I couldn't do that, like 15 minutes and then to like have your concentration broken and then to jump back into it. I mean, that's difficult. It's, it, it's one of those things that, again, doing that strengths finder stuff with Becca Syme has, because I'm a number one activator. So it's like that initial push to do an action is like really mm-hmm. rewarding for me. So mm-hmm. doing that over and over and over again with 15 minutes, I don't know. I guess I've just trained my brain to do it. It I it would definitely not work for everybody. Um, and I have it's a playlist. It's very much a mom of, thing. <laughs> yes, yes. It's just, well, and I don't know what I'm going to do when he goes to kindergarten and I suddenly have like the entire day. It's, I, it, who knows what will happen then. So I, I'm very deadline focused and I, so I figure out when my deadline is and then reverse engineer my word count just so I have the data because I'm a data freak. And mm-hmm. so then I just hit that deadline every day and I, I intentionally don't schedule writing on the weekends. So if I do it, it's just bonus. Mm-hmm. And, and what then, is your daily word count generally that you are aiming for? It's usually about 2000 words a day. Last year I wrote over 600,000 words and I, think I hit 5,000 words a day on like two days. So it's just like the little bite sized chunks that just make a big, big difference. Writing is kind of like my self care. It's like the thing I do for me. And so Mm -hmm. luckily I've been very fortunate that in this time of intense stress and anxiety, Mm. that writing is like my escape. And so I haven't had too much struggle with that. It's just enforcing my family to respect the time because they normally don't see it that much because mm-hmm. they're at school or at work or what have you. And so, but I mean, they've been pretty good about it for the most part. And especially because when my husband was declared non-essential, it's like, well, we're a single income household. So here we go. And the financial side of things is, can get really hairy. Like 2018 was really rough because we had the boom in 2012 and then like around 2015, 2016, like everybody's income started dropping. Mm-hmm. And, and I think mine like halved like three years in a row or something crazy. And that's why I went indie is that I have a little more control and I'm making, you know, 70% instead of like 25 and I can pump out the book. Like, cause I write really fast and mm-hmm. pretty clean for the most part. And so I'm able to like release quite a few books a year without having to worry about like the quality being negatively affected. And how many books do you typically put out in a year? I think I average about six, mm. but they're like, they're not, they're like seven, 60 to 80,000. They're not particularly long books for the most part. So I'm not writing, you know, 120,000 word books, like six of them. Like that's right, a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, they're nice, like perfect bite-sized books that like a four ninety nine price point for the most part. And isn't that on the higher end a little bit for indie? Like I know, the last author we talked to, her books were more like around 40,000. Possibly. I. The thing is, is I know a lot of indie authors like that 299 price point. So in 299 is what I, well, I guess if I had 40,000, it'd be 399. Because <laughs> I just <laughs> am trying really hard to bounce back from that 99 cent thing that we had for a while there. Mm-hmm. And most readers will pay up to 499 without blinking, especially if they trust you as an author. Mm-hmm. And I feel that my work is worth that. So that, so I don't feel bad charging four ninety nine for like a seventy thousand word book. That's kind of part of it is that I want to make sure that the the story is worth my while to like get out and put out at an appropriate price point. That's not going to like hamper my uh, like perceived value. <laughs> 
pricing is all over the place for Indy. And so if you could talk about that for a little bit, because you mentioned the 99 cent thing that you had to recover from. So could you talk about that? Because I know there was a big wave where that's what everybody was doing, 99 cents. So can you talk yes. about the pros and cons of that? But sure. also, yeah. can you also talk about the value, just to make this question even more difficult, can you talk about like the value of an author's work? Because I think, you know, a lot of people talk about that, like, you know, we can't undervalue ourselves. And recently in traditional, when the um, quarantining first started, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, there was um, a website, I can't remember what it's called, and I don't want to give them press anyway. But anyways, they made a bunch of books free that they used to make it sort of like a lending library that they like scanned books that they would then lend out, but they opened it up and made all these books available as many lends as they want. And NPR covered it and a bunch of other outlets like, yay, look at this great thing the site is doing. And authors were like, um, they're not doing a great thing. They're giving our books away for free. They did not pay anything from for them. Like, this is terrible. Why are you pushing that? And then the authors were getting pushback from people on Twitter saying like, oh, you're selfish. You should be happy someone's reading your book. And it kind of blows my mind how many people have that feeling about it. The whole like, for exposure, I have a, um, a pin somewhere that because it this similar conversation is often had in like, I knit in like the yarn industry and mm. there was a pin a while back that says like, if I wanted exposure, I'd get my tits out. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, the 99 cent trend happened when I was still with a small press and they very much jumped on it, which sucks. <laughs> it it mm. definitely like it's, I understand how attractive it is. And I think that it's really valuable as like a sale price point, like a mm -hmm. special, like for a limited time. Like I have a book on sale right now for 99 cents, mm -hmm. but you automatically with Amazon bump down to 35% mm -hmm. like royalty rate. If you're under uh two ninety nine. when I went indie kind of looked around and was like, well, my traditional books are 599 ebooks. And so my readers are obviously okay with paying that. It's so competitive out there. And a lot of people feel that they can take, get an edge by having lower prices, but I have not seen that to be true necessarily. Like it's, mm -hmm. there are things that can give you an edge. I don't necessarily know what they are, but I don't think the price point, like it might get somebody to one click, but it won't necessarily make them like sit down and read your book or mm -hmm. buy the next ones. Mm -hmm. And and I can't survive on 30 cents a book, like mm -hmm. forever. And I can say I, anecdotally, we just had a release and we tried a 99 cent release for a new book to see if it would work. And it did not, it did not get us anywhere. And all our pre-orders were like, put pennies in our pockets. So it kind of sucked. Yeah. When it's, it's such a crowded marketplace right now that the things that make you stand out are not necessarily the price. And mm -hmm. people who will pay $3.99, don't blink at paying $4.99. And I mean, once, mm -hmm. you know, there's a threshold for that, of course. Right. But I just refuse to be apologetic about like charging that. Like I, I had a conversation with an author friend recently that they were like, well, we should, or you should put that price at like $2.99. Cause that'll really, you know, bring in people. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> like <laughs> I'd rather take a little bit less sales and get the higher royalty rate and then potentially have like, you know, a reader that re actually reads it and enjoys it and potentially buys the next one. Mm -hmm. And I haven't actually had pushback on that at all, which I think some authors fear that they'll get 
readers that are like, you're selfish and charging too much. And it's a personal choice that every author has to make for themselves. Like I don't do yeah. Kindle Unlimited. I mm-hmm. just, I've always had weirdly high sales on the other retailers, even traditionally. And so I just have put a lot of effort into building up those platforms because I don't trust Amazon completely at mm-hmm. all. And and I also am very vocal about like, you know, if you can't afford this, like go to your library because I still get paid for those. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas that free lending thing was, you know, I, we don't get paid for that. Like go to your library, check out Overdrive. Like, and I know not everybody has that option, but it's just, especially right now, we are spending so much time home alone, stuck here. Like, and what we're consuming is art. Like it's, whether mm-hmm. it's books or TV or it's all art and it astounds me that people are so unrepentantly like, no, I'm just going to take it. I don't feel like paying for that. Like, right. And And the argument that I hear the most that is usually thrown out for pro pirating is that people will download it and because it was free, because they never paid for it, they might do a one click and download it. And never read it simply because it's been devalued, which we talked about earlier too, with a 99 cent click, it's been devalued simply by being free or extremely cheap. That's something that, I mean, I find myself doing as a consumer. If I buy a book for 99 cents, it's probably going to sit on my pile because I wasn't that excited about it in the first place. It just happened to be 99 cents. So I bought it. Now, in terms of whether that makes it okay to pirate, no, it does not. I need those pennies in my pocket. This is what I do for a living. So I think the argument is interesting, though, if you translate it over into price points. Because I do think it's possible to devalue your work by pricing too low. Well, yeah, because if people get used to paying 99 cents and that's all they pay for you, and you suddenly put out a book at four ninety nine there might be pushback because there you've established that you are worth a certain price point or your work is worth worth a certain Mm -hmm. price point. And it's hard to come back from that. And I think a lot of indie authors and even publishers that, you know, jumped on that train, eventually people get used to it and stop complaining, but there is a level of expectation that you set up. I got bills to pay. (laughs) I, Mm -hmm. I do this for a living and my kids eat a lot. I want to be paid for my work. And and I have also found that, like you said, with the free books or the 99 cent books, and sometimes when you do these promotions, they people download it and then just never look at it again. And I mean, I do that with full price books, so I can only imagine that with the free ones, it's right. that much more true. Can a girl who sees the world through prose colored glasses learn to live her life off the page? Find out in Buy the Book the debut YA novel by Amanda Saleh. Rom-com meets masterpiece theater in this tale of old books, new friends, first love, and second chances. School Library Journal says Buy the Book is witty and compelling. Booklist calls it a smart, engaging romance, impossible to read without laughing out loud. Buy the Book is available now, wherever books are sold. Can we um, talk about sex? Sure. <laughs> and writing sex. Are your children ever allowed to look over your shoulder as you're writing? Especially, I mean, obviously the four-year-old, it doesn't matter. 
the older kids? Do they know what you do? Are they, how, how do you handle all of that? Um, yeah, they know we're really, really open family with like everything, communication and information and whatnot. And so they very much know what I write and that it's super, particularly saucy. And I don't curtail what my kids read with the caveat being that they cannot read my books until they're over 18, just because mm-hmm. I don't want to pay for that therapy. But yeah. if they want to yeah. read like saucy <laughs> books of other authors, like, you know, go for it. If that's not, like, cause I read, I started romance at like 12 or 13 Same. and, and they were scorchers, like mm-hmm. <laughs> really intense. So I, I don't, my grandmother's, she would give me her romance novels, her Janet dailies and, um, stuff like that. I had a similar experience where my grandma would read it and then my mom would read it and then they'd give it to me. And I was, you know, 12 or 13 and I was learning some things. And then I would like, you know, be reading something and, you know, feeling a little bit saucy myself and be like, oh, this is really turning me on. And then I'm like, dude, my grandma read this book. <laughs> my grandma held this physical object and her eyes moved over these same words. And maybe my grandma got a little turned on too. And now I'm ruined. Now I'm broken. (laughs) (laughs) My mom was always a big like thriller reader. And so she read Iris Johansson and I would read her books. But then I went to the library and found her historicals, which were, I mean, I recently went back and reread some of them, like thinking like, surely they weren't that saucy. Like I just felt like they were saucy because of my age. Nope. Nope. They were really, really hot. As an adult now, and then of course someone, because I'm like 41, but when I was in my 20s, and like my late teens, all my expectations were blown. They talk about like porn with dudes, but I'm telling you, we got the same problem because it's like, I was like, I'm not rolling around on the floor, like so completely lost in this physical experience that I roll too close to the fireplace and my hair catches on fire. Like, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, it's like that, that I have never had that experience. So I, I don't know. That's just an aside. <laughs> yeah, my, my mom sat me down and she's like, read what you want, but understand that sex will not change a man and he will not change how he feels about you if you have sex with him. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> mom. I think that romance novels can be really helpful and just even if they're like so over the top, it still is like prioritizing female pleasure. And that mm-hmm. is something that we don't see in a lot of media mm-hmm. more now than we used to, but it's still very male gazy. And so I think that can be awesome, but it's, yeah, it's definitely uh, above and beyond reality in a number of ways. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was so much the old ones, but I know like newer romance novels, the sex scenes are very female positive and there is a lot of focus on like him pleasuring her. Like it's not just about yeah. like him. Yeah. Well, my uh, middle child is just turned 13 and he, I don't know how we got in this conversation. Like I, it was one of those ones where you just like kind of black out as a parent and like try to keep it cool. And like, yeah. and then afterwards you're like, what? But it, we we're talking about like, it somehow came about like talking about orgasms and like the clitoris. And he was just like, what? They don't talk about this in sex ed. Like, I don't understand. Like, where is it? What's happening? And I'm like, Oh God, there are certain romance novels. And I actually went through my list and like made a short list, which I will give to him if he ever asked me, but like that are very good on demonstrating like purpose of foreplay and like they use language that isn't particularly flowery. So it's like, they would be a really helpful how to manual on like, here is some things that you should probably know before you get intimate with another person. Yeah. Um, um, I think you should post that online as like a parent's how to like romance <laughs> novels to give your children who are wanting 
how to yeah because i was like i was or like just I, or just know. adult males you can just put it up there for adult males they have no idea what the clitoris is that's good too i mean that's just a public service you should do that this information is going to put you ahead of 90 percent of like dudes like heterosexual dudes your age until you're like 25 like yeah <laughs> and sure. even then I had a friend whose husband was confused when she was pregnant about how the baby would come through her pee hole. Oh no. Wow. And she was like she was like, No, sweetheart, they're different <sighs> places. <laughs> Oh, you sweet angel. <laughs> like, that's how, like, I just feel like so many men are like, ew, like, women's body. Like, you know, like, they just think it's, like, mysterious or gross or weird, and they don't want to know about it. I know. It's like, this is information that could be very useful to you. And the more you know about it, the more, like, of an asset you are as a male human being. And honestly, this is just going to give you an edge when you start dating someday. Learn these things. Learn these things. Yeah. But yeah, so we're very open in this family about like that stuff, no matter how like occasionally like sketched out I get and just like, I don't really want to have this conversation, but you know what? You asked me, so we're going to go. So they know I write really saucy and they know that not allowed to (laughs) read my books until (laughs) much later on. Yeah, I write and and my traditional books are under YA. And so I have occasionally run into because I worked at the school for a really long time luckily I left shortly after probably my raciest stuff came out or I wouldn't it's not even racy but it's YA right so they have sex and that's a problem but it is funny because every now and then it's like adults will be talking to me and they're like that book was like kind of hot and I'm like yeah I know (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, I have to make sure I delete my signature on my email before I email the school officials one time I forgot and they were like you're a romance author I was like please don't google me like just don't like let's just save ourselves both the headache I write very saucy I'm sorry not sorry but like you know just let's just save ourselves that talk yeah people are weird about it yeah yeah and people are so fascinated too by authors you know they're like oh you're an author tell me about that you know and it's just yeah as if they find out you're an author of of books that are, you know, sexy, then I feel like it would be a whole nother conversation and school, other parent relations are already so sometimes awkward and weird. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like you're being judged and it's just weird. And yeah. I constantly forget that sometimes people in real life follow me on like Instagram. Mm -hmm. And so like one of my son's, the, his friend's mother was like, I never know what I'm going to get from you if it's going to be like knitting or like straight up explicit sex scenes. And I'm like, oh, I should, I'm sorry. And she's like, no, keep it up. And I was like, okay, cool. But all my neighbors now follow me on Instagram. And it's a little like a head trip sometimes because I have these Barbies that I occasionally act out, not act out, but like position sex scenes like for menages because right. you want to make sure everything does what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And they just get the biggest like kick out of it. And I'm, very grateful and feel very fortunate because if it could very much gone a different way if they were less cool people it's hard sometimes to reconcile like real life katie who you know doesn't shower till 3 p.m and like author katie online who's like sometimes clever and occasionally funny i think too with uh, romance and i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about porn again um and erotica you said it earlier it's a fantasy world and and like we all know that and accept that 
So when those lines cross with the real world where Katie, who is, you know, the mom at PTA making the brownies and Katie, who is writing a MMF, you know, overnight or sleep slumber party, it's two different things. And people have a hard time when those things intersect. And I had to laugh like it's not funny, but at the same time, it was like pretty amusing to me. I had a student who graduated, a female student graduated, uh, really pretty, went to Hollywood, wanted to be an actress. And of course, you know, it didn't work out. It never works out. And so she ended up in a couple of porns, but like real like low rent shit porns. And her brother, her younger brother was still a student. And so it was one of those things where, you know, like somebody found out she was in a porn and all the kids, all the guys are like, oh my God, I'm gonna go watch that. I always thought she was hot, right? Then they go watch it and they were like, I don't feel well. Great. Well, because it's it's the familiar and like, right? I, because it's the person that they know and that they yeah. know her brother. And when they're watching, you know, various things be performed upon her body, they're just like, oh, I, uh, oh, like they like they were turning it off. And I like, I would overhear conversations because I worked in the library, and I would overhear students like when they don't know that you're in the stacks, and it was like sweet and you know. <laughs> In a way, they were, like, feeling very protective of her. And they were just like, man, I didn't like that when he did this. And I was just oh. like, I was like, oh, you guys. I mean, this is a good lesson for you. My ex-brother-in-law is about four years younger than me. And he, we are occasionally still in contact. And he had read not one of my particularly saucy books, but, like, one of the earlier ones. And He's like, I can't read your books. He's like, I just hear you in my head and it makes me kind of uncomfortable. And I was like, that's fair. (laughs) That's very fair. (laughs) My eldest, because she knows I'm writing a female, female book for the last book in my current series. And she's like, I really want to read that one. I'm like, when you're 18, (laughs) if you would like a female, female book, I will happily like there is a I have a ton of them whether like YA or like romance, but um, you can't read mine. (laughs) Like not yet. My mom like has a problem with my, <laughs> with my books well, anyway. So I don't really talk to my mom, so it's kind of a non-issue, but when my grandma was still alive, she was like, "I'm really proud of you, but like maybe you could write books that were a little less like, you know, sex and a little more like Jesus." And I was like, "Oh, grandma. <laughs> oh, oh, grandma. Thank you for the support." <laughs> like, <laughs> Sometimes friends remind me like, "Hey, some like, you know, the whole not all press is bad press and a lot of people like these people that have the unfortunate being on like the wrong side of a Twitter mob. Yeah. A lot of those people that are angry are buying their books just to hate read. And so absolutely it's like, who, who's laughing all the way to the bank. You know, all you have to do is get off Twitter and you, it's like, they're not even talking to you. <laughs> now, as a traditionally published author, I have a goal to be banned. And oh, it yeah. has not happened yet because when you get banned and you write for teens, people are buy that shit like cocaine. I mean, they love it. Believe me, I think I just am not read widely enough yet because everything, yeah. all of them, at least at least three of them are easily bannable. So I think I'm gonna. Well, have female to write, of the species like, should definitely get some banning. I mean, oh yeah, the girl like definitely sets a dude on fire or something. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But instead oh. I keep getting like school library journal, like, you know, stars and like people, somebody actually like legit gave me a medal. Oklahoma gave me a medal. <laughs> <laughs> 
HQ, but also. <laughs> it's like, I cannot get banned. I don't know. I always, always tell everybody, they're like, well, what do you think it would take for, you know, you to get banned? And I'm like, it's simple. It's female masturbation. Yeah. Yeah. If I put that in a YA book, I'm done. And and also very famous suddenly. <laughs> That's kind of a sad statement, but very true. I'll have to figure it out. I mean, I don't want to write a whole book about that. I feel like that might be... Uh, but hey, we are yeah. all stuck at home. So maybe, maybe, oh my God, Kate, that's my next book. That's your next book. You're, you're Just feeling inspired. Just your through the pandemic. That's what's, that's what's up. <laughs> you can be like, yeah, I researched this subject heavily during the COVID-19 <laughs> quarantine. I was researching and researching. And everybody, everybody can be like, it. what's your process? And I'm like, for writing or like, what? <laughs> <laughs> really hands-on with the research i like to get in there <laughs> yeah oh don't ask God. questions you don't want the answers to <laughs> i will answer you and you will yeah. blush oh my gosh okay so we've had you for about an hour we should probably let you go um but thank you so much great conversation oh. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you um, were willing to do this. You are so interesting and you have so many great things to say. Well, I, I had fun. This is fun. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. <laughs> writer, writer, pants on fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.